Osiris. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com. Welcome to GuitarCast episode 36. I'm your host, Andy Keithley, and this episode features guitarist Scott Bauer. Scott and I worked together to put on the Raising Sand tribute concert a couple of years ago. Uh, That whole concert is on GuitarCast episode 3. I encourage you to go back and listen to that. We talk a little bit about that in this episode, as well as uh, Scott's booking with Niederlander concerts and kind of some of the cool things that Kensington Presents is putting on around Los Angeles. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review for GuitarCast on your podcast app and follow GuitarCast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at GuitarCastPod. I just recorded this episode today and I was going to wait until next week to release it, but I was so happy with how it came out. Uh, especially the song at the end, Buckets of Rain. So stick around to the very end and enjoy episode 36 of GuitarCast featuring Scott Bauer. So, Scott Bauer, welcome to the GuitarCast, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, Thanks for agreeing at such short notice to be on the show. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, it's always enjoyable to have company over on Sunday mornings, especially for some acoustic guitar jamming. Yeah, man. Uh, so let's see where I think, so you went to Berkeley too, right? Indeed I did. And I don't think I've met you there. No, I, we definitely met after that. And like most Berkeley people, I met them out here. Uh Uh-huh. Instead of in Boston, like I've met more Berkeley people in LA than I did at Berkeley. I probably know like 30 people, 30 Berkeley (laughs) alumni in LA that I, you know, talk to and hang out with frequently out here. But in, in Boston, yeah, I was like, you know, you had a a pretty small group or at least I had a pretty small group of people I hung out with. Yeah. Yeah. Me too, actually, now that I think about it. And it's such a small school that you tend to, like you, you walk past people all the time that you recognize but you yeah. might not actually know them but i, I see yeah. faces all the time that i'm like oh yeah i, I definitely remember yeah like you <laughs> like, <laughs> i've seen you yeah. a million times I know, I know i've seen you in ensembles but we've never yeah. hung out we've never jammed it's yeah. weird i feel like i should have taken advantage of that more at berkeley and really like you know gotten oh more man, there's so many i have i have a lot of, of uh a lot of that Oh, man, if I could go back and do Berkeley again, yeah, I would have done it much differently. Yeah, that's a you know, youth is wasted on the young. Yeah, but uh, if if I remember correctly, I met you the first time you were putting on a show. I believe it was an Aretha Franklin record. Right, right, yes. And I was there with Jesse and Leanne, and I think that's the first time I met you. And that sounds I, right. I remember thinking. Man, that's a cool idea to do a, a whole record. Yes. And 
that's when I that planted the seed of doing the Raising Sand show. Yep. Which I came back and threw that idea at you like I don't know a year later or something. I, I remember the <laughs> the conversation just having coffee like yeah let's yeah let's do Raising Sand as a album tribute and I'm like hell yeah that album yeah. is amazing and and yeah. yeah we need to do this. So what was so. what was the deal with that Aretha Franklin show? Um well I I've wanted to do like full album tributes or I had been wanting to do full album tributes for a few years because like I'm from Minneapolis um and after Berkeley uh I went and moved back to Minneapolis and I taught guitar there for a while um and there was uh a few bands that were actually doing that um there's this band called God Johnson uh which was sort of like a side project of another jam band in Minneapolis called the Big Woo which is a f- mm. phenomenal I don't know if you heard of them before. I remember the Big Woo yeah, yeah Big Woo was great I'm surprised they didn't do do better um they did great in in the Midwest but didn't really venture out but anyways um uh this band God Johnson did a few album tribute shows which I thought were phenomenal and so fun and like people like they always sold out they did uh Stop making sense. Awesome, but not just like the the album tribute, like playing it like they did, like in the movie the, the where theatrics, yeah, the theatrics of yeah. it too, where like the the main dude came out as David Byrne with like just solo just with the boombox, you know. Yeah. They had all the costumes. That's impressive. Um, they you know came out one by one, like the, you know how that like the bass player comes in after that and. So they really like did it um, exactly like the movie, which is really cool, and and I just thought this is so awesome. I and I love like albums as a musical statement too, like yeah. I, you know instead of just songs and 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 that sort of thing. I I think it's really cool when there's like a a wonderfully crafted album that is you know like just such a where it's thought out, like concept yeah. albums and that sort of thing. Like we want to make an album, not just like we want to make a collection of badass songs, like fucking Abbey Road or Dark Side right. or whatever it might be. Um, so, so yeah, I, I just thought it was a cool concept. Um, and just when I came out here, I just always loved Lady Soul, Aretha, obviously, but Lady Soul just like really spoke to me as like this amazing collection of songs. Uh, and I, I don't know. I just thought that's that's the one. And I think I'd seen Jesse Peo play, you know, quite a few times. And I was just like, she's the girl she's for it. She's got the voice, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, I guess that was sort of the genesis of it. And she killed it. And really, everybody that, that played in that band was was so amazing. Everybody did fantastic. And, it, yeah, it was really fun. I got yeah. to do another one. And the Raising Sand yeah, that went so great that too. went so well. I yeah. mean, you know, I, I had a, I was pretty nervous not not nervous in the traditional sense, but just like I wanted it to to be good. Yeah, I wa- really wanted it to be good, and I because uh, that had been a, a idea of mine. I mean, you you definitely planted the seed with like, oh wait, you can do that. You can just go play a, like a, a cool record and right, and that's got me thinking like, what are some great records and then of right. course that list is like a mile long sure, like how, sure. many, how many awesome records would it be totally so much fun to just uh to perform yeah and i landed on raising sand because of the the duet aspect between the male and female voice yeah or just having you know two singers because it ended up being jesse and leanne right 
but but she ha- she plays the I mean she has that kind of like more I don't want to say baritone but like I guess alto yeah voice for and it's for kind, a woman and, and it's so, kind of salty and you know yeah and then Leanne on the other hand sounds just great for Alison Krauss right parts. I mean right perfect combination yeah yeah she's like more soprano kind of, yeah they have a good good uh, mix yeah and the instrumentation is you know uh, kind of right up my alley at the time with the get down boys it was like all right great upright bass and yeah fiddle and yeah it's perfect but then yeah there's there's a hundred other albums that i would love to to uh you know put into a show right um well um were you talking to me too about doing the uh, the last waltz because that's what i wanted to do next yeah so well yeah the 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 band that i play bass in jack of hearts uh-huh. we you know we do a tribute to bob dylan and the band and we've always been kicking around the last waltz idea yeah or like for instance uh this year and next year and really the next few years are all these epic 50 year anniversary uh-huh. because it's 68 69 sure sure and um Music from Big Pink. Oh yeah, just had it. Just hit the fifty-year mark. Right, so we were right. thinking about doing that one too. That would be phenomenal. Support for this podcast comes from Zuri Food, all natural, all human-grade dog food, offering four different diets to optimize nutrition for your pup, and now two different kinds of dog treats as well. Visit www.zurifood.com today to order yours, because pups are people too. But yeah, um, so so that Raising Sand show that was a part of the Kensington Presents concert series. You want to tell me a little it, bit about Kensington? Yeah, it was. So um, Kensington is um, the promoter that I work for currently, um, and I started there a couple years ago uh, as a kind of side hustle um, gig that I I I sort of fell into because I reached out to uh, a colleague of mine. I was working for Nederlander Concerts at the time as a talent buyer, um, but was just looking for like more fun stuff because, um, I mean, we were booking like REO Speedwagon and all these legacy acts mm-hmm. at, at Nederlander, and I wanted to find more interesting, local, uh, exciting stuff um, to book. And I talked to a, a colleague of mine. And he was like, yeah, you should talk to these guys at Kensington because they're promoting shows under a bridge in Chinatown uh, <laughs> and the Metro line goes by while the band is playing um, and they just booked Dust Bowl Revival who I'm sure you're familiar oh, yeah. with like just killer Americana band have been on the show oh awesome yeah yeah that's cool so they had just done Dust Bowl Revival at the Viaduct which is this um, venue under a bridge in Chinatown. Uh, <laughs> and really I was is. like, you, yeah, it's, it's nuts. And, and I was like, you have to introduce me to these guys. Um, and he did. And they're like, yeah, we, <laughs> we're, we're booking this space in, at the LA State Historic Park under a bridge. It's, we call it the viaduct. It's not really called anything because it's not a venue. It's the, the maintenance yard of the LA State Historic Park. Mm-hmm. And um, they had just kind of, you know, serendipitously formed a relationship with state parks. And state parks is like, you should program this maintenance yard because it's such a cool, 
look and a cool vibe with the the it's the oldest bridge in LA mm. um, there's this little space underneath it the train goes by like this is a perfect spot to do some videos and like just create this really interesting live music environment so yeah. um, so we planned our first show um, with me on board uh, in 2016 with this this blues act uh, called fantastic Negrito who's phenomenal. I don't know if you heard of him before, but he's just this phenomenal blues guitar slash singer. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, the sh show is incredible. And we've since then done um, uh, Big Black Delta. We've done Dave Harrington, who um, he did a live improvised score to two silent film well one silent film which is uh, a german film called the cabinet of dr calgary and then no country for old men so a live cool. live improvise just made up the score on the spot to these films yeah um, because no country for old men doesn't have a score no it doesn't yeah which, there's some like little you know whatever sound effect type things yeah but there's no and real that whole movie the the tension is so high because yeah. there's no all, all you're hearing is like the footsteps or the yeah whatever. Just like ooh, yeah. that's it through the yeah. whole movie. So that yeah, there was plenty of room for them to do, do some like weird trippy shit, and and they did, and it was it was phenomenal. So the, yeah, them and and last year we did Borns, who's a pretty big indie artist now, and we mm. did them with the thirteen piece chamber orchestra. Um, so it from there it kind of like. It's just grown in the last two or three years to where yeah. now it, it's a full-time gig for me and, and we just incorporated and, um, yeah, just trying to, you know, grow as a concert promoter and book, you know, other venues. Like the, the, the um, Raising Sand show that you're talking about was at York Manor, which is the other venue that we book regularly. Right. So, yeah, just trying to keep doing shows there and grow, grow the business. Cool. And... You mentioned Niederlander concerts. Yeah. Uh, tell me about like what your job there kind of entailed. Sure. So um, I uh, I initially, well, I started in the the music business at, at WME, which is um, William Morris Agency. So I started as like a booking agent assistant, and then kind of realized that most booking agents are total douchebags and like the the environment there is super toxic and like it was basically like being a cast member on entourage every day uh -huh. and it was just not my vibe so um i wanted to get more on the promoter side of things and actually like curating talent and deciding yeah. like who goes into a venue and like a little you know, more involved in the show. Yeah, yeah. Like deciding what the what the vibe of the show is going to be instead of just trying to be like a used car salesman, yeah. which is sort of how I feel like agents are. So I, I, anyways, I switched from um, WME to Niederlander in like 2013 and started as an assistant there and then got promoted to being a talent buyer. So who were some of the shows. acts that you would book there? Uh, I booked like James Blake and Alan Stone, uh, Wolfpack, um, yeah, Joel McHale, a few others. Those were kind of my favorite ones. Mm -hmm. um, I remember yeah. uh, you you had an opportunity for Leanne Skoda and her band. I was playing guitar with to play at the Greek before the Melissa Etheridge. 
I think it was Melissa Etheridge, right? Right, probably. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Something like that. It was, yeah. it was pretty cool. You yeah. Know, it, it, interesting. Uh, it was a little unusual for us as far as the crowd goes. Right. Just because it, we weren't used to, uh, you know, her crowd. Right. But Leanne fit right in there and, you know, people people dug it. That was the, the plaza stage, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah outside yeah. the plaza. Yeah, that was cool. That was, that was fun to book that. I was still booking that as an assistant. So yeah. that was kind of my, like, gateway into booking you know, more like actual shows right. <laughs> was booking this little side stage in the plaza of the Greek. So that, that was fun to, to do that. So you're um, from Minneapolis? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, did you grow up, like, did you have a guitar in your hands at a young age? Um, I didn't start playing guitar until I was 15. So okay. kind of like a little bit later, um, I played piano. Like I started when I was like six or seven. Yeah, same here. Um, I feel like that's you know the that's the best way for any musician to start out, just so you can kind of like get a good grasp of music theory and like yeah. have this linear instrument Scale. in front of you. Yeah. Um, so I I did yeah I didn't pick up guitar until I was fifteen, um, and. Yeah, I don't know. Took a couple. I was pretty bad about lessons for a, a while. Like, I mean, I'd take two or three and then not go back, you know, and sort of like yeah. self-taught myself. Um, but yeah. Who were some of the uh, bands you were listening to or the guitarists that you were listening to? Um, I was, I mean, I was really big into classic rock when I was uh, in high school. Like, I mean, obviously, like all the you know, usual suspects of Jimi Hendrix and Beatles. Jimmy, Jimmy and Page. Jimmy Page for sure. Like I had a, my first electric guitar was a Les Paul standard, um, you know, that essentially just looked like something that Jimmy Page yeah. would play, you know. Um, so yeah, definitely Jimmy Page uh, and, um, you know, just all the Clapton um, all the usual rock god type people. But then, like, eventually, <laughs> later in high school, when I started smoking even more weed, <laughs> you know, there was a little There's back a correlation earlier. here. Yeah. <laughs> and I started smoking more weed and getting into uh, the jam bands, as yeah. one sometimes does when, when those things happen. Sounds like we had a very similar path. <laughs> I would, yeah, I would have expected that. So... So yeah, like, you know, senior year, I started listening to The Dead and, and Fish, was really into Fish, like, high, senior year of high school, freshman year of college. So Trey kind of became my guitar idol yeah. god, you know? Well, <laughs> same here, and I think that's because, as you mentioned, you were into Jimi Hendrix and Jimmy Page and, and The Beatles. Yeah. I mean, Trey is like just one one step down the line he, he was influenced so heavily by those same players totally so when you hear fish when i listen to fish and i listen to trey's playing i can hear the jimmy page influence i can hear the hendrix tone and i can i can hear all that stuff in there and yeah. i like that stuff right so i was i was drawn to that band and that and that style because it's sort of like this blend of prog prog rock and this kind of heady rock mixed with like dirty tone and you know 
flashy solos and stuff. Yeah. I loved it. I just ate it up. Yeah. And I mean, he was like, the thing about Fish, too, is they're like, they play every genre. They play like bluegrass and jazz. So it was sort of like this master class in in being able to play different genres because they'd have, you know, a song with crazy. Yeah, totally. Like uh, a song with crazy jazz changes and like, you know, diminished arpeggios. Mm like just stuff that I had never seen before. So it was all this like new cool music theory stuff and learning how to, how to play guitar beyond just like pentatonic scales and stuff like, cause I was not yeah. into jazz, you know, until I went to music school shortly thereafter. So the like the only quote unquote jazz like knowledge that I had guitar wise was, pretty much through fish and i guess yeah. like through the dead a little bit and you know even i guess hendrix there was maybe some kind of jazz without him even knowing he yeah, was playing jazz i in think there. so yeah uh, but yeah so that was kind of my my like you know early influences and in guitar is that so when did you get into fish um i was i think i was like about well i started my dad is a guitar player, and we had guitars in the house before I was born. So I, yeah. I started playing the guitar. He showed me some chords when I was probably like eight or nine, maybe. Uh-huh. And I thought, you know, that's cool, but I was a kid, and I, I didn't like get way into it. And yeah. Until I was like maybe 12 or 13, I started really playing a lot of guitar on my own. Yeah. And... This would have been like in the mid '90s, and I, I heard about Fish, because my family had lived in Burlington. That's where me and my brother were. Oh born. wow, it's like the mecca of fishdom. Yeah, and so I remember my dad at one point saying, "Yeah, this band who used to, you know was from Burlington, which is where our you know we lived, and they were like you know really uh, really making some big waves, and they're playing all these big venues and stuff." Uh huh. And it was, I remember this vividly, it was the Guitar World magazine from fall 97, and it was Trey, <laughs> it was like a four-page spread with Trey, yeah. and I, I remember being like, okay, so I put, I was putting, putting it together, like, yeah. this is the guy, the band's from Burlington, cool. Right. So I was like in maybe sixth or seventh grade when I started uh-huh. listening to Fish, Yeah. and I was, I was a little too young to be going to the shows, Right. but I remember thinking, yeah... Fish is cool because I had already grown up on Hendrix and Zeppelin and the Beatles. Yeah. And I remember tying those two together and being like, yeah, well, this guy, you know, this band is like kind of rocks in the same way. Yeah. And uh, so I, I got a I got a pretty early start, I guess you could say. And then I went backwards and got into the Grateful Dead and got into all the Jerry Garcia's uh, various bands. Sure, sure. Uh, in college after the fact. Yeah. Which is also just this huge pool, this ocean of music to explore. Right. Not only just stuff in the Dead catalog, but you start going backwards into Olden in the Way and oh yeah, uh, some of these some of these bands where you you start to see Jerry's influences. Right. Right. And the guys he was emulating. The, like the Carter family, yeah. like you realize old like how much that stuff. bluegrass stuff he was really mm-hmm. into, and old old um, you know Delta blues guys, and, yeah, and uh, that kind of thing. 
and yeah, so I kind of uh, I kind of went backwards. I, I was into rock and into more progressive stuff as a teenager, and then in college is when I got into bluegrass and classic country. And sure, sure. You know, I started going back through the years instead of like keeping current with bands. Like to this day, I really am not on top of the music scene. The current uh, <laughs> I musical on, trends. If I want to put some music on, it's usually going to be like. 50 years old probably uh-huh <laughs> that's a i went to so. i went to a charlie hunter concert at um true tone music cool. uh like five or six years ago and he said i don't listen to any music that's less than 50 years old that was <laughs> yeah I mean, that was his quote and i know there's good stuff out there there are bands now that i like it's not like i'm totally in the dark right right there's something about studying because when i listen to music i'm thinking about it it's it's hard for me to put on music in the background i don't know i'm sure. I just uh right i analyze it that's what i do you know yeah that's what music school and living a musical life will do yeah you analyze everything it's tough for me too i usually put on soundtracks when i'm at work yeah that's like a good... the ex machina soundtrack right or like Tycho, where there's no lyrics or anything yeah. to it. it's just sort of this drony but that's cool because mm-hmm. soundtracks have become this like art form unto itself where there are like celebrity soundtrack artists, you know, like sure. uh, Thomas Newman. Yeah. Uh, or like Trent Reznor. Trent Reznor. And yeah, Johnny Ross. Greenwood. And, yeah. Totally. And now, um, now Tom York is, has a film score coming. Yeah. Out, yeah. Totally. Which is really cool because it's that to me is the response to the music industry's culture of a hit single, which is mm-hmm. kind of hot right now. Mm hmm. Instead of these concept albums coming out of bands, which would have been the case 30 or 40 years ago, now nobody listens to albums. All right. So all these artists who want to put out an hour and a half of music at a time, well, let's just do a film score. And sure, you can get sure. exploratory with it. It doesn't have to be pop songs. It doesn't yeah. have to be complete thoughts. It's just soundscape. You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a bummer to me that people aren't, you know, the album... I try and listen to a whole album. Concept album is not like a thing anymore. Yeah. Unless you're talking about the bands like Radiohead that's do like a moonshape pool, which is a, yeah. a statement, you yeah. know, like a full album statement. But yeah, like in the pop world, they just don't don't do that anymore. With streaming being the dominant uh, form of listening to music, you're just you're gonna get people clicking one song they might not even listen to a whole song they might not even listen to three minutes yeah how let alone a 60 minute album right but you know that's because people aren't taking home cd and people aren't putting a cd in their car or yeah it's funny i didn't i did another podcast like a music based podcast a, a year ago or so about the like homogenous uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? The ho- homogeneous nature yeah. of of pop music, yeah. like especially a year ago, it was all that like Ed Sheeran, um, Kygo kind of sound, where it was the like fake marimba synth and the same <laughs> chord progression, you know, like the and the same rhythm that like and it's like. That song, the Ed Sheeran song, like the DJ Snake Justin Bieber song, um, the like Sia Cheap Thrills song, which I actually do like, um, but <laughs> but like yeah, all these identical it, it, form, yeah, and I, all all these identical 
um, sounding songs from the arrangements to the musical form of it. Um, yeah, the, I I yeah. think we should all have a vote on outlawing for like like put a twenty year moratorium on the chord progression of. Yeah, <laughs> what do they call that in the? In, just don't, just don't do it. There's, oh, I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday about that video. Um, oh, that somebody supercut all the different songs yeah, together that yeah, have the same exact chords. of that one one five six four chord yeah. progression. The um, yeah, God, I can't remember the name of that video now. But yeah, how it's like every song, like no woman, no cry, and and let it be, and. Don't stop believing, like. And those, those are old songs. Yeah. <laughs> Forget about the last ten years, but it's like. Right. <laughs> Where it's transferred to power Every chord form. Every single song, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, sad, sad state of affairs. People are still writing cool well, original music. I, I like. I try not to sound so much like a fucking dad. Yeah, no. Because like there right. is there is innovative original music out there. It's sure. just not necessarily and on. The, the Kiss other FM. thing, I have to constantly tell myself when I when I have this conversation or if I'm feeling like an old man going, "Are you kids? Yeah, you? damn kids today." The the concept of a pop star who doesn't write any of their own music, who is pure image, who is, exists to sell records, is not a new thing. That has been going on That's since true. the beginning of the record industry. That is, that is true. So that level of BS has been around since day one. And that's not a new thing. I, I have to remind myself that. Like, Yeah. In the 50s, that was the name of the game. You wanted to sell singles. It was all about your image. It, right. it had nothing to do with the musical ability. I mean, not nothing... I think I think it did have something to do with musical ability back then, but that's not a new concept. That's simply the industry, um, the consumer side of the industry. Right, right. Which means you just got to do some digging and find find the bands that are out there that are, you know, really creative and really good. As long as there is like a a mass, um, uh, you know a way of mass consuming music, whether it's a giant radio station or MTV or whatever, there's going to be derivative music, mm. you know? Yeah. It's, it's when you do the digging that you get rewarded for shit. Usually. Yeah. There's no, there's no Beatles that are going to come out today. It's that, hard. Yeah. That, like via mainstream radio. We'll you just gotta, say you gotta wonder, like the, the reason why those bands were so big is because they invented almost invented the category that they're currently in. Right, right. (laughs) They invented the genre. It's like people talk about Michael Jordan and Kobe or LeBron and who's better. It's like Michael Jordan invented that that (laughs) style of play. The fadeaway jumper. Kobe and LeBron are are simply doing what he already invented really well. You can't compare them. Like, you know, the Beatles are the Beatles because there were no Beatles before them. So how... You can't really top that. Yeah. Can't um, reinvent the wheel. There's a really good interview uh, on Mark Maron's podcast with Paul McCartney mm-hmm. just recently that was really good. Just a side note there. That's cool. Um, so uh, you got your guitar there. You want to you wanna play a tune? Sure. Yeah. I can do that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, said to, as I said, I have to do a little uh, detuning here. Yeah, what are you what are you tuning so into? I, I tune to. I said earlier that it was uh, open E, but it's actually open D. D. Yeah. string in the process. <laughs> so satisfying hearing the low D like it is, right? <laughs> harmonized it with really the, is. once you tune it down it's like <laughs> ah it's kind of like the THX sound yeah. of Wah. yeah there's got I mean there, there's probably is some neurological explanation <laughs> for that yeah scientific uh, thing chemical reaction that's happening in your brain um okay cool should I just start playing yeah. it buckets of rain Buckets of Rain by Bob Dylan. Um. Buckets of rain, buckets of tears Got all the buckets coming out of my ears Buckets of moonbeams in my hand You got a love, honey, baby, can't you tell I've been meek and high like an oak Seen pretty people disappear like smoke Friends will arrive, friends will disappear If you want me, honey, baby, I'll be Do it for you, honey, baby, can't you tell? 
can't you tell? I do it for you, honey, baby, can't you tell? All right. Fun. I kind of figured out the lyrics the second time through. <laughs> that sounded good to yeah. me. Thanks, man. Yeah, like what you were doing underneath. Also thank you, man. Good. Yeah. Well, Scott Bauer, thank you for being on the show. It was my pleasure. Yeah, always a fun time to do some acoustic jamming. Where can uh, people find out more about Kensington? Um, yeah, just kensingtonpresents.com uh, has all our shows up there. I mean, if anybody's listening that's in the L.A. area, we have three shows coming up. We have Gavin Turek, September 28th. We have The Crystal Method, October 19th. And we have a really cool band called Choir, 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 which is this acoustic guitar duo that teach an audience, well, the audience that's there, yeah. how to sing a song that's cool. uh, in three-part harmony that's like great. throughout the course of the night. So, yeah, kensingtonpresents.com has all the show info on there. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Osiris.